Last week we looked at the idea that God wants intimate conversation with us in regard to giving and, and prayer and fasting, that what we normally treat as disciplines have opportunity for us to explore relationship with them and that for us to be distracted by others in that process or trying to, to gain others' attention is really like almost taking on a or flirting with someone while you've got your arm around your lover, right? It's, it's saying, God, I love you, but, you know, your eyes going somewhere else or, or the conversation and really what he, he doesn't appreciate that any more than we do on this earth. You know, he's, he wants full attention when we're participating in such things. One of the things that happens, I think, is that when we have this fear of others, we do things so that they can see them. In this next passage, I think he addresses fears that we have about things, not relationships as much as about things. And so I, I'd like to walk through this passage and then read Psalm 34 because it kind of portrays the other side of the picture. It says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy or thieves do not break in and steal. This is that time of year when you, if you have possessions outdoors, you're trying to get them ready for winterizing. And you realize in the process of what a pain this is, maintaining things that I have. And you also are looking at this breaking down process and how things that you have fall apart. And then there's also at times this worry of somebody's going to take what I have. And if you look at it enough, you realize that any possession that I hold in this earth has a certain fragileness to it that somehow I want more and more, but the more I accumulate, the more I take on in the way of maintaining and making sure it doesn't wander off and, or that it doesn't rust out and, and, and end up destroyed. And, and so there's a, a, an investment of energy in such things that gain significance with the more things that we have. And there's a certain weariness that we take on for ourselves by whatever we cling to. And in some ways what Jesus is saying is that there is something that's even more valuable to invest in. And there's something that doesn't wear out and it's not going to get stolen and, it, and it's not just going to disappear and, and you know, the, the, the moths aren't going to get to it. So really, this is a worthwhile investment. And so he's just, he's, he's kind of, in a sense, drawing our attention from this anxiety that builds up over things and says, there's a better place for this energy. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he takes it that next step and says, 
you know, if you're all about the things and this constant preoccupation with keeping everything running and keeping it at your place, and he says, really, that your, your heart gets tuned into that and it doesn't really focus on the eternal or, or the things that are truly important. And so he says, There's, you, you must exert caution in this. You must be aware when you take these things on. In some ways, we can look at it and say, okay, if I understand where most of my focused thought is, then I also know where my treasure is. And so it's important to, in honesty at points to say, okay, what have I been preoccupied with? Where has my thought been all day long? And truthfully, that's where my treasure is. And if, it, if we aren't happy with that observation, then there's an opportunity to change it. Hopefully you're saying, oh, that's really not so bad. <laughs> it's a good thing. But, you know, it's a, it's a point for evaluation. He goes on and says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Um, I, I, I've tended to read this as what the eye takes in, and that's not the intent, I don't think, as much. I think the intent is, with your sight, it guides you where you walk and, and how you place your feet and the direction that you go. Your sight gives you a sense, a form of guidance and direction. And that perception. He says, you know, how you perceive things, how you see things, has a powerful influence on who you are as a person. And so again, it's like, what are you putting your sight on? What are you pursuing? What is your perception? It's interesting that Satan is called an angel of light in 2 Corinthians. So in some ways, there are false lights that you see that you can be walking toward and say, this is, this is bright. But really, it's, it's a form of darkness. Or what we really want is to, to see things as God sees them. We want our perception to be looking at things and seeing things through his eyes and how he perceives it. He goes on then, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So again, even attaching these thoughts together, you know, we in a materialistic society uh, are very consumed with things, even though we have more than most of the world. But it's said, it's not quite enough. <laughs> it's the, the thinking, right? And, and he, he throws out this warning and says, you can't have it both ways. You're going to have to pursue God or pursue money, but you don't get to do both together. I had a discussion with Michael in this last week, and one of the things that came up was that when you come from a wealthy country and you go in to do missions work in another place, one of the real temptations is to just throw money. This will fix their situation. 
And really, it's a materialistic view. It's not even really asking, well, what, Lord, do they need? But it says, I know what they need. They obviously don't have this, so I'll get it for them. And yet, you may be sowing disaster in such a situation. The challenge is to say, Lord, what are you wanting here? And what, what could you use of my life that would be a benefit to this person or this group? And so even in missions, there's a temptation to just turn it materialistic. That's not to say that we just shut the door, but we ask first, God, what do you desire? I... Uh, it's interesting, you know, Peter and John, they were going to the temple, and you remember, they meet the layman, silver and gold of I none. You know, the guys figuring a little money would sure help. And they're going, we don't have money, but we can give you something better. And out of that, the healing comes. And by and large, I would walk by somebody and, yeah, I... Got a little I can help here. Without asking, would God want this person healed? Significant things, you know, to just say, what, in the Lord, what, what do I need to be hearing in regard to this situation? And the temptation is to throw money in, and yet that's not the answer. Maybe a portion of things, but it's not the full answer. He goes on again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He says, even regarding your core needs, God understands such things. He gives an illustration. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Or gather in barns that your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not more valuable than they? I was reading something about sparrows this year, or little chickadees. I know they're not the same. I lump them in the same boat. I'm a minister. I'm not a <laughs> biologist. Or ornithologist, would that be? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, back on track. They don't invest, they don't plan, they, uh, they don't have understanding about the future and what needs to be done for the crops, but God provides for them. This isn't a suggestion that you don't try to plan, you don't invest, it's, but he's saying God understands all of that. So it's like you, you set a course and but you don't have to have the full understanding of where it's going before you start acting. Because there's a trust that comes in in regard to the Lord that He's going to guide your steps. It's not based on just your shrewdness. Somehow that's a heightened value in our day, right? Being shrewd. You know, either... You don't want to be taken advantage of. You want to be shrewd enough not to have that happen. 
You don't want to be fooled by the advertising. You want to know what to do. In righteousness, you don't want to take advantage of others, but you certainly don't want to be taken advantage of. And you spend a whole lot of anxiety trying to be smart. And what Jesus is, in a sense, putting out to us is saying, He knows. And it shouldn't consume every thought of your mind. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? I guess we understand that you can certainly take away hours by the anxiety, but you can't add to them. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even in Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This isn't just saying that he'll give you clothes. He's making a point. He's saying beautiful clothing is taken care of by the Lord. He's adding this beauty component. Sometimes we get it in our thinking, well, God will take care of me, but it's going to look pretty plain. You know, it'll be warm. Thanks. You know, it'll, it'll be what I need. It'll be lasting. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, God is even concerned about beauty. And he says the plants that, that don't last beyond the season, that have no thought process involved, he says they're more beautiful than any clothing you can make. So does God have an eye for beauty? And if he's going to take care of you, is it possible that he would include beauty in the part of the taking care of? Looking out there, some of you need to hear this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, it goes back, doesn't it? Whatever. I think flannel's beautiful. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't hear that. You with the rag around your neck. <laughs> we better go on. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned sarcasm earlier. <laughs> it's never very far away from my life. God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much will He not much? How much more will He not clothe you, of you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious about what we'll eat or drink, or wear, for the Gentiles seek all these things. And this is the second time He's used this Gentile um, declaration in this particular section of scriptures, and so. You know, he, he has noted the hypocrites among um, Judaism, but he also notes the, 
the Gentile lifestyle, and he's, he's drawing some illustrations and just saying, uh, don't get caught up in these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough anxiety of its own. Sufficient the day for its own trouble. What I'd like to do now is jump into Psalm 34. This is written by David. And uh, he had been fleeing Saul and is running for his life. This is the time when he meets with Jonathan and Jonathan has agreed to get his father's opinion of David. And uh, when Jonathan tries to defend David, Saul throws a spear at him. So he takes that as a negative sign and, you know, lets David know you need to, to get out of here. And uh, so David runs. He stops by uh, and meets with some priests and asks for food, uh, lies about his situation, says, I'm on a special mission. And uh, he also asks for a weapon, and they bring out Goliath's sword. He says, there's none like it, and he takes it with him. He goes to a foreign ruler and seeks asylum. And the, the, the ruler is Achish, a Philistine king. And so in this setting, suddenly it comes up among the people that are there going, wait a minute, isn't this a guy that they sang about, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? You remember the, the setting for that story? That's right after he'd slain Goliath. He's got Goliath's sword. He's in that setting. So he's, he's, at the, he's in the community that Goliath had been a part of. And suddenly people are going, why is he here? What, what's going on? You know, so the murmuring, and, and what happens is, is David hears it, and he starts acting like a crazy man. He can't just run. So he starts making marks on the doors of the gates, and he starts letting his spit dribble down into his beard. Yeah, he's acting the crazy role. And the king looks at him and says, I've got enough crazy men. Don't need any more. And, and David escapes to a cave. So that's the setting for this particular passage. And David is thanking the Lord for his deliverance. He's not just talking about his shrewdness or, you know, but he is acknowledging the hand of God in this thing. O oh, magnify the Lord with, let's see, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So again, if you're looking at David as being a man after God's own heart, even in this significant crisis where, you know, Saul's chasing him, he's in a camp of people that he's slain someone that, you know, then they're going, why is he even alive? I will continually give praise to the Lord. Bless the Lord at all times. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So, you know, we were looking at this passage in Matthew earlier of the anxieties. And David's calling out, he says, you know, that was an anxious moment. And yet God delivered me. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Yeah, I had spit running down me. But God has delivered me. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So he's making a point. He says there's a spiritual dynamic in this, even though you know, all of this chaos was around me and it seemed like people were going to put me to death. He says there is a dimension of God's protection that was a part of this story. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this is intriguing to me. You know, this is the second time in this passage that he's noted this and made this declaration about the fear of the Lord. And, and as you know, in their poetry, this double statement is, is part of an emphasis, but it's also their writing form for making this declaration. But he says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And I, I'm looking at that and going, well, that means the fear of the Lord can be learned. You know, this respect and awe, it, it, it can be learned, but it also can be taught. That's an intriguing thing. Maybe that's something as a parent you want to grab onto and say, okay, Lord, how do I teach my child this value? Or, you know, are you going, what do I need to learn in this regard? You know, if there's this potential of us learning, it's not like the fear that just, oh, it's a cold fear, and, you know, that, that paranoid response. This is something more than that. What man is there who loves life and desires many days that he may see good? He, he likens the fruit of this coming out of this fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil, do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So he's going to speak truth. Do the deeds of righteousness and seek peace. Those are three of the attributes connected with the fruit of the Spirit of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. So now he's, he's giving a, 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 an understanding of why we would do such a thing. He says, God sees and hears those who are pursuing righteousness. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. 
The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So again, he's saying, you're not going to escape things. But he says, God will certainly be with you through those things. Here's a powerful statement. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. The New Testament writer in John 19, in talking about the crucifixion, likens our call, recalls this psalm. You know, where they went around to, to break the legs so that Jesus would die quicker and they found him dead. So there were no broken bones out of that process. And he says, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. But, it, you know, when we, we look at that and we're going, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yeah, a lot of difficulties, a lot of complications. But a recognition that God delivers. God provides. So going back even to this Matthew passage and we're saying, I don't know where the money's going to come from for this. I don't know how, I don't even know where we're going to get our food for next week. I don't know how we're going to clothe the kids. I don't know how we're going to, you know, all of these questions. What's in the future? I don't know. How are we going to provide for ourselves? I, there's this awareness that God provides. David had a confidence in his heart, and as he walked through crisis, there's still this awareness, God is with me. And that hope wasn't abandoned. And certainly when he gets through it, he's looking and saying, bless the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. He's making declaration of thanksgiving. Affliction will slay, the, will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I can't get past this thought that we need to give some thanks to the Lord, even in this morning. And uh, I think it'd be appropriate and acknowledge this. David is saying... Let's, let's make declaration. You know, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. He's saying, I, I will speak of the goodness of God. And you know, we've, you know, we've walked through that passage and, and we, we note that anxiety is not the, the help, healer <laughs> and the help. But how do you step away from that? And sometimes it's acknowledging the goodness of God and the hand of God already for what He's done, but this confidence too of what He will do. And so I think, yeah, let's, let's just, uh, if you have something of thanks and you'd like to make declaration, stand up, face the most people. I'm not asking for another sermon. That's done. But... Uh, Give thanks to the Lord even in this moment. Lord, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. And I pray for those this morning that would be walking through anxiety issues, that you convince them of the truth of this passage and help them to begin to see a way out of this. I pray for those that are bound by fears that you would begin to break those off.
and that they would discover with joy that they can trust you in all things. I pray, Lord, that you will guide our steps and lead us into the declaration of thankfulness, acknowledging your hand in all things. Amen. May your blessing rest on these people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. Discover with joy your goodness in all things. As you go out into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.